Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Forrester CXCast. This is Sam Stern, joined in studio by my colleague TJ Kitt. Hi, TJ. Hello, Sam. And TJ, we wanted to have you in today to talk about a recent report you've written about the four tech giants that dominate customer experience. And really interested to ask you some questions about this report uh, because I don't necessarily think of any of these companies as being in the customer experience business, maybe with the exception of one, and we'll, we'll talk about them, but they just happen to be huge and everywhere. I, I, I guess I'm curious, what was sort of the first sign or hint to you that this was a topic you needed to explore and research? Well, I mean, this goes back over the entirety of my time here at Forrester, really. Uh, which is 10 years which for is, listeners, so to know yes. it's a pretty long time. <laughs> yes. um, it's even longer to say, right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> Really, what it came down to was you'd sit in these briefings with vendors or you'd talk to a client during an inquiry, and they would, as a shorthand, tell you that they were striving for a Google-like experience mm. with this or an Amazon-like experience that they wanted to deliver or something that was going to be reminiscent of Facebook for their clients or you know, something that's going to strive for the simplicity and the design aesthetics that they find in Apple products. And so when you start hearing that enough times from vendors and user companies that are interested in mimicking these experiences or using the names of these vendors as a shorthand for some type of experience, the natural question is, what are they talking about? Yeah. Um, what exactly is it that they're trying to achieve in name-checking these companies? That's really kind of the origin of this. It's because, as you mentioned, these companies' pervasiveness in the marketplace and because of their ability, thanks to that pervasiveness, to then move into different areas that have challenged yeah. new and different types of companies, they've, in many respects, set a standard for what a customer experience should be. And so it behooves us as researchers to understand what it is that these vendors teach us about customer experience, both physical and digital experiences, so that when we sit down with a client to talk to them about their aspirations to be Google-like or Apple-like or Amazon-like, to really dive into what that means and what it requires for them to achieve that level of customer experience. Okay, that's interesting. That formulation was a little different than how I was thinking about it, which is fine, which is why I asked you the question <laughs> and you gave the answer. But the idea that it's not because, oh, they're pervasive, so you have to live in their world, although yep. maybe that's an element, but they've been successful in the eyes of customers, which has allowed them to be pervasive. And so what has enabled that? Is it that these companies and, you know, the four again, just to make sure everyone's on the same page here, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google, just in alphabetical order there, was it that they were particularly good at creating customer experiences and that led them to, you know, grow this big? Or is it something they sort of happened into with having killer apps in certain markets, they figured out what people wanted and worked back from there? No, so I would say it's the former. Okay. That they were very good at delivering what I would refer to as a core experience. When we kind of approach this initially, um, and when we start talking to companies about you know, smart tech companies or yeah. smart cloud companies and what they understand about customer experience, it's that ultimately what it is that you do is you solve a problem for a customer. And what these vendors by and large have done is understood what that problem is that they solve, and then they repeatedly solve it. Mm -hmm. And in doing that and figuring out new ways to address the issues that their customers have, it has naturally pulled them into different directions. So let's take Google as an example. Yeah. 
Google's business, you know, if you were to look at it in a very narrow sense, is search. You know, they allow for you to search for information on the internet, and then they sell you as a user of that service to mm -hmm. advertisers because you use their search engine. But if you think about this more broadly, you know, the problem that they're solving is essentially, how do I find a piece of information when I need it? And if you mm -hmm. take that as kind of the core of their business, what they actually provide to the consumer base, that leads you into areas that may not sound like they are kind of tied together, but actually end up being a part of a holistic approach to solving that problem. So you start with an idea of here is a box on a web page that allows for you to crawl the internet. But then you move into things like, well, here is a map mm -hmm. to let you figure out where you are on the planet. Right. Here is a book or the ability to read books as you search for them. Or here is the ability to find video content. Here is the ability to find local restaurants, find local movie theaters, things of that nature that all kind of tie back to this core idea that what people are trying to do is find information relevant to them in that context and in that moment of need. Yeah. So that's great. They've really understood, and it sounds like in Google's case, well illustrated, they've understood beyond the very narrow, and I think companies are, many companies are guilty of this, we provide search. It's like, right. you, know, you make information, necessarily information, you make it easy to find or have at hand when it's needed, right. which can then allow you to solve many more problems than if you were just a search company, you would think you could solve. Right. And sometimes that notion kind of elevates itself into the branding. So if you think about Amazon, Amazon's branding is the everything store. <laughs> so when you aspire to be the everything store, that then leads you into areas that may not sound like selling a book, which is where right. they, they began. Right. right. It leads you into things like streaming movies, streaming video, and then to provide the supply chain for that, making movies and things of right. that nature that then allow for an individual when they want to buy something to be able to affect the purchase of that thing, irrespective of their location and irrespective of even in many cases of what the product actually is. Amazon and Google, good examples of how you sort of really deeply understand the problem you're solving for customers and why right. that makes you valuable. What are some of the things that though they've done specifically around customer experience that make them good at customer experience. This gets to you know, basically five general lessons that I would take away from all of these vendors. You know, first yep. and foremost, what they have done is that they've created experiences that are intuitive. So I think we've all seen videos and I think we've all lived this, you know, if you either have or have been around small children, a toddler's ability to pick up an iPad and intuitively figure out yeah. what they're supposed to be doing with it. And a lot of that comes back you know, to some sort of understanding or innate principles that these companies have about how you approach developing experiences. So from, you know, if we were to kind of pursue the, the Apple metaphor here a little further, Steve Jobs' design point included this idea that what we design should be built on commonly understood metaphors in people's lives. So for example, when they put together the operating system around their Macintosh computers, the idea that they had was to recreate someone's desktop. And I, right. I know we don't think about this a lot today because we live in this world of modern computing. But if you take this back to the early 1980s, people did have right. a desktop, which they had a planner on it and all these other things. And so the idea was to take that put that onto a screen so that someone could sit down at this Macintosh and then basically right. figure out pretty quickly what they were to do with it. I remember my father telling me about his literal 
physical inbox on his yes. desk, and I was my mind was blown because it, <laughs> it, it, it it's one of those classic things where you're like, well, of course it had to be based on something real. Like, how right. else would they have come up with a, such a silly word as inbox, right? Unless right. it was the box that new things came into, which is intuitive, but not in right. not in a you know sort of email electronic digital sense necessarily. Right, having that design brilliance where you're saying. No one likes the idea of having to use a owner's manual right. to figure out how to start doing stuff. They just right. want to be able to pick it up and use it. So that's the first thing, that they've created these experiences, whether it's Apple and it's you know devices or Amazon and it's checkout or right. Google and the search box or Facebook and just kind of the interface that you use to begin sharing probably too much about yourself with the world. <laughs> um, it's all very intuitive. The second thing that they've kind of brought to the fore is this idea of an intelligent experience, something that kind of understands what it is that you are trying to achieve and then helps you advance on mm. that goal. So if you think about a lot of the, you know, kind of the things that we're seeing around company interest in artificial intelligence, a lot of that's being pioneered with these vendors that we're talking about here, whether it's Facebook or yeah. it's Google or Amazon mm, or right. Apple. Uh, so if you think, you know, just for example, um, you know, I know that you're not a Facebook user, Sam, but no, <laughs> <I'm not. laughs> Facebook has this eerie ability to begin to propose to you people that you should probably connect with. Right. And that's because it basically what it's doing is just, it's just looking at your life. It's right. looking at who you know, who the people that you know know, and then you know, beginning to formulate some opinion on, well, maybe there's a logical connection here. Or maybe because you guys went to the same school, there's a logical connection. Or maybe because your phone number or that person's phone number is in your in your phone, maybe you want to connect with them on Facebook. So having the ability to kind of anticipate yeah. what would be useful to somebody and then proposing those as potential actions to take becomes an important part of the experience. And actually, you know, again, begins to intertwine that into your life because here's this thing I can rely on to help me fill in the blanks in my right. knowledge, my understanding of the world around me, and even to begin to take on some of the responsibilities that I would have had for myself as yeah. I kind of go through this life. And that intelligence one is sort of, that example you're getting into is gets into your third one about being contextually aware, right? right. Knowing that because people you may know are linked to people you already know, right? It's right. sort of using that context of your social right. sphere, right? Your world. I guess I'm wondering, both of those, I can see how that's them, you, you know, being intelligent, being contextually aware, it's also, and done wrong or for, for the wrong user, incredibly creepy. Because I think this is sort of the genius of some of what they do, which is that they do things that if other companies did them, we would have a different reaction. Right. And I think a, a big part of why they've been able to do these sorts of things. So even right now, my phone is buzzing. So as if I turn on my phone and I look, what Google is telling me is, oh, look, the traffic patterns in your area are light. <laughs> um, you know, you're going you're gonna to finish recording this right. podcast, right? You're not going home right now? No. Um, it's also giving me stories about the Pittsburgh Steelers because it knows that I'm a, I'm a Steelers fan. The reason why I think they've been able to get away with that is because they haven't taken the liberties too far. So they've done them within context of what you would expect that sort of service to do. So using the Facebook example again, I am on Facebook to connect with people that I have somewhere in my life encountered. So Facebook is not necessarily going too far afield and saying that you should probably make a connection with this person because it is intuiting that you have met this individual somewhere or that you have 
you know, a commonality with this person that would make meeting them useful for you. The same thing here with the, the kind of the Google example. The reason why Google is feeding me this information is because periodically Google queries me and says, is this sort of information useful to you? Right, right. And so it, it's kind of, it's, it's reinforcing, or I am reinforcing for it that yeah. I actually would like to have this sort of decision support, if you will, in my life. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that the extent to which the interface displays a little bit of humility and, and desire for the user feedback can right. can go a long way, even though it's just, you know, built in. But, you know, is this valuable to you right now? And right. it's like, yes or no, you know, and no. And it's like back off or, you know, is this recommendation relevant to you? Um, I, I, so I take that point and, and, and you see that, I think, I'm, as you know, I'm not familiar with Facebook, but with the Amazon and, and Google, certainly they give, they allow users to give them that kind of feedback. Right. But I, but I do think, you know, we would be remiss if we did not acknowledge that, you know, there are a fair number of people in this world that do not want that level of intimacy with a faceless technology corporation. That's entirely fair. And, and that's why I think, again, to your point, the humility um, is what's going to be important here. And also how well these companies adhere to the ever-shifting set of yeah. you know, national regulations that pop up around how companies can store and use personal information about people. Yeah, that's right. And it's a great point because if you're suddenly outside the bounds of what is legal or what's considered um, acceptable use, public sentiment about a company can, <laughs> can change pretty quick, which, which actually brings me to another question I wanted to ask you, which was if you're projecting ahead and these four companies are are the ones you're featuring in this report because they are so pervasive and so dominant in terms of narrative as you described how other companies use them as reference points is there one of these that you think in five years time would be the one that wouldn't be in this version of this report in 2022 to project forward i mean you kind of have to think about what is valuable about that company yeah. and does that value carry forward or is it something that is something that they, that is irreplaceable in the marketplace yeah. The controversial pick would probably be to say, you know, Apple. I mean, there's a lot of things that you know, people ding Apple on in the mm -hmm. post-Steve Jobs era, whether it's, you know, a lack of innovation or perhaps even some qualms about what is actually being delivered yeah. in each iterative, you know, step in the iPhone or the iPad. And then there's there's some, you know, kind of realistic issues that they have, you know, when you're talking about things like artificial intelligence. Uh, they've made some business decisions to back off the storing and leveraging of your personal information in many ways that a Google or a Facebook would leverage in order to train these artificial intelligences that are key to the experiences that they want to deliver. So there are, I would say, kind of a number of questions about, you know, kind of how well Apple stacks up as something that people will look to in 10, 20 years as kind of being a touchstone that you have to hit when you're thinking about building new experiences. Now, uh, you know, I say that, but uh, kind of with the humility to know that, um, you know, my ability to forecast 20 years and, you know, kind of a very rapidly changing technology environment is limited at best. Well, um, listeners, stay tuned for episode 1206 of <laughs> CXCast when we bring TJ back and hold him to account for his bad call here. Um, but, but, but what I think might be kind of more interesting is to think about um, you know, who you would include. Yes, in that, this in that is my list. other question yes. for you is if, if there had to have been, so first version of the question, if there had to have been a fifth, because right. your editor said there must be five, TJ, um, who would you have added? And then the second question would be in five years, who do you think is the clear, you know, let's say Apple is dropping out, who's the clear likely replacement for them in that future time period? Right. Well, if there had to be a fifth, I probably would have looked internationally. 
Uh-huh. And I probably would have looked at a company in China, something like a, um, a an Alibaba or perhaps a, um, a Tencent. Yep. And the reason why you want to look at those guys is because, you know, again, while their reach may not have gotten to us here in North America and in Europe, you know, they are serving a market of over a billion people. I hear there's a few people <laughs> in China, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, and they do have some reach throughout the rest of the Asian mm. continent. Um, so when you look at those guys, you know, what you're seeing are innovations and, again, some of the same sorts of patterns to be able to move into adjacent markets. And yeah. if you're looking at kind of, you know, some of the, the Chinese tech giants, they're investing in things like ride hailing. They're investing in things like backend infrastructure. They're investing in things like payment cards. So things mm-hmm. that would affect your ability as a company to effectively deliver a customer experience, which actually um, kind of gets into the fourth point that I would have made about you know, kind of what these companies are teaching us about customer experience, which is the notion of being ecosystem driven and the ability to both create platforms that other companies want to leverage to build on in order to create their experiences, but also marketplaces that these companies want to be a part of to get their products, get their services to market. So, so that's a really yeah. interesting point about, you know, to, to know about these companies. I mean, in particular, that sounds to me like Amazon mm-hmm. and Google, but you know, both have been accused of and some have had to pay fines for tilting those marketplaces, right, sure. uh, towards preferred providers or towards themselves. Sure. And so I wonder how, how does a company, how would you advise a company to think about that where they're sort of, um, you know, situation exists today. You have to figure out how to live in this world with these big four. But how do you do so without setting yourself up for too much risk of them just cannibalizing your business or changing their search algorithm tomorrow and, and your business goes away? Like, how, right. how should companies think about that risk? Well, I think the first thing is to kind of recognize there are multiple companies that you'll want That's to work with. You know, you can see instances in which companies, you know, kind of attach their wagon to a specific star and then that creates all kinds of problems. But, yeah, I think what the, the approach that you want to take is what is essential for us as a company to reach our desired market. Where are our desired customers? How do those desired customers prefer to be served? So if I'm you know, kind of thinking about what I want to do around chatbots, for example, does it make sense for me to rotate a lot of my resources in the contact center to serve a chatbot using Facebook Messenger if the majority of my customer base is not looking to interact with my business via Facebook, Facebook Messenger. Messenger. Okay. So I think a lot of what you have to consider is, you know, number one, you know, if we kind of go back to our customer experience management framework, what's the research and our customers telling us? And then based on that research, what do we prioritize in terms of where we put our efforts and where we you know, kind of double down on partnerships? Then I think, you know, kind of beyond that, you know, you're going to have to have a good read on what's in the, the realm of the possible with mm-hmm. these vendors. Um, I think, you know, too often, you know, people hop on these platforms. You know, they say, we're going to go build an Alexa skill because it's cool to have yeah. a voice interface, you know. for My kids love it. Love right. Alexa. Right? Exactly. But if you don't have an understanding of, you know, how that will play with your back-end processes and your ability to actually serve that customer, then you are, I think, to what you were raising, setting yourself up for that vendor to come in and do a better job of that than you. Yeah. Or, or... Oh, that's a good idea. And poorly executed. Perfect. Exactly. We'll do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or you just miss the boat altogether and alienate your customers or have something that's underused and you've kind of wasted yeah. time. So I think I you think have that's to have a great a, point. Yeah. So I mean, I think you have to have a good sense of what is reasonable 
with these platforms and how your internal talents, so that's back to the prioritization point, can actually leverage these things to deliver the experiences that you desire. Great. Well, um, listeners, there's a lot more detail, examples, guidance in this report that we are just scratching the surface with. So I encourage you to check it out. It's called Four Tech Giants, Dominate Your Customer Experience. Those four are Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google. Uh, and probably no surprises, but I think lots of insights in, in the report that maybe you aren't expecting. So definitely check it out. And TJ, thank you so much for joining us on CXCast. Thanks for having me. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of CXCast. And remember, your customer's perception is your customer experience reality. 